Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. You have your Bibles this morning. I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And to all of you who are already serving this week at Christmas at Crosslink, thank you for your flexibility. This is not what we planned, but thank God he's writing the story and we're just joining him where he's at work. Amen. In Matthew chapter 1, we are so excited to be reminded that there is good news. I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's ever been a year or a time in my life where I have ever been more discouraged and even frustrated with the news. Uh, I, I don't know how you are, but in my life, some people would call me an old soul when I say this, but I watch the news just about every single day, okay? Like, I, I find the news as an easy way to kind of know what's going on in the world or what's going on in your community. And so most days, I record the news, and then I go back later and I watch it so that I can skip through all the commercials and all the nonsense that I don't care to hear about, okay? Like, I, I, it's important to me when so-and-so lost their dog, but that's not, like, earth-shattering news for me in the world. And so I'll kind of skip forward through that story. So I watch the news just about every single day. But this year has been quite a year. Would you agree? I mean, literally, when you think about the news of this year, we went from an impeachment to government tensions between nations to a possibility of this thing called a coronavirus to now we know it's here in America to now government shutdowns and restrictions. And we kind of went through all these different things to now we're dealing with shortages everywhere and people are debating whether or not they have to wash their groceries when they bring them home and Stock markets plummeting and, and political debates and hidden agendas and questionable elections and questionable vaccines. Are we going to take it? Are we not? Is it going to be here? Is it not? And it has been mass chaos throughout the world. But in the midst of all the challenging news, in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of the, the difficulties, we've also experienced incredible loss. Someone experienced that in the context of finances because of the stock market or because of lost jobs and the uncertainties of their family's future. Some have experienced loss in the context of loved ones who have passed away or marriages that are really struggling or relationships that were close but are, are now distant. And It's been a tough year. I mean, so much so, even me who watches the news just about every single day, I have gotten to the point where I've gone days and weeks and almost even a month where I just didn't care to see it. I mean, like literally I sat down to turn it on. I was like, I can't do it. I, just, I mean, something about like, it, it tends to cause this like fear and it causes this frustration and it causes anxiety. And at times you just, you just want to throw your hands up and be done with it all, right? But this is just getting worse and worse and worse. But even in the midst of the difficulty of it all, I believe what God is showing us throughout the series and this morning is, hello, there is good news. There is good news because in a very dark and a very corrupted world, hello, not too different than what our world is today, 2,000 years later, in the midst of this broken world, God did something so radical and something so extraordinary and something so amazing that literally not only our lives, but all of eternity is impacted by what God did just over 2,000 years ago. And that is that just over 2,000 years ago, God announced good news of a Savior. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 1 as we look to God's word and how God was working and moving in the life of all mankind, not only at that time, but how he works in our life today through what took place in Matthew chapter 1. But because I want you to see this morning is that God's plan for salvation, it's all his plan. This is not God making it up along the way. This is not God like figuring it out along the way. From all the way from the foundation of the world, God looked at our rebelliousness. He knew our independent nature and he knew we would rebel against him. He knew that we would sin and God would have been just to completely write us off. God would have been just to say, they will rebel against me, they will reject me, they will sin against me, and therefore they're guilty, they're judged, they're condemned, that's it. God would have been completely just to leave us in our hopelessness. But God, being full of grace and mercy and love, instead of leaving us to die in that place of hopelessness, God did something absolutely extraordinary. 
He sent his son into the world to be our savior. Which brings us to the story of a very modest and humble and yet righteous man by the name of Joseph. Look with me at Matthew chapter 1 as we learn good news of a Savior. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? The Bible begins in verse 18 and says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, key statement, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived in her as of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Verse 24, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the time that we have together. Thank you for the freedom that we have to gather in this place. Thank you for the opportunity we've already had to sing praises about your wonderful and marvelous grace in our life. Nowhere is that better demonstrated than in the way that you have sent your son to be the savior of the world. And so God, I pray today that we would each examine our lives to make sure that we have accepted Jesus as the only savior of our souls. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated this morning. You know, this morning, as I think about the sheer volume of news today, frankly, we deal with such a news cycle in our culture, it's very easy to get confused about the messages along the way. Did you know that when you look at the four most popular newspapers in our country, every single day when you combine those four papers together, we literally are given a thousand different stories a day. That is a lot of news. That does not even include all the reports on the television screen. That doesn't even include all the reports from the social media links or even the comments that everybody has. In other words, it's a lot of information to take in. Sometimes even when news is good news, it's hard to keep it all straight and to make sense of it all. I was reminded of the illustration about a little boy and little girl one day. They were getting ready for Christmas, and they were getting ready for a Christmas pageant at their church. And so they were at home, and they were singing Christmas carols. They were so excited for the season. And the little boy began to sing his favorite Christmas carol, Silent Night. He sang Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. And he ended his, came to the final note of that line, and he said, Sleep, and Jesus, sleep in heavenly beings, heavenly beings. Smart little sister immediately corrected and said, no, 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 that's not it. It's sleep in heavenly peas. Get it right. Well, of course, it's not peas. It's peace. It's easy to get the message confused. The fact of the matter is this morning, even the good news, when we are distracted by all the pursuits in our life, even the good news, when we're not focused on what it really is, we can misunderstand the meaning. In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible tells us something interesting about this man by the name of Joseph. It tells us that he was betrothed to a lady by the name of Mary. Now, to be betrothed is very much in our day like being engaged. We would look at a couple as a, as a guy, would, he, would, he would offer the invitation. And he would ask the young lady, will you marry me? She'd put a ring on her finger, and they would declare a date. They'd make a date for when they would get married. And that day, betrothal period was very unique. The betrothal period was in many ways like an engagement. It usually lasted a year but in the betrothal period, in that culture, literally to everyone else on the outside, it was a legally binding relationship that established the fact that this guy and this girl would indeed be married. In our day today, you can, you can get rid of an engagement just like that. You can in many ways even get rid of a marriage in some ways like that. But in that day, to be betrothed meant that you were legally bound to be husband and wife, with one exception. And that one unique situation with them is that they're seen as husband and wife in the eyes of the world, but they did not live together and they did not consummate their relationship physically until the marriage ceremony and celebration took place. 
During that betrothal period, usually the young lady would be at her parents' house and she's preparing and learning how to take care of the family and she's taking no more responsibility. And the man would go to his parents' house. The man would go to his parents' house and he would build a room onto his father's house and that room would be where he and his wife would live. Those of you ladies who struggle with your in-laws, thank God you don't live in ancient Israel, okay? Because that's how things were happening in that day. And so what's happening in this moment is Mary's learning how to keep house, basically, and take care of a family. And Joseph is there building onto his father's house. He's preparing for his future. Joseph, what I'm saying to you is this. He's likely working his day job. And he's spending time after hours to build this house. And he's daydreaming and thinking, I'm going to marry Mary. And this, this wonderful, godly girl, she's humble and she's sweet and she's pure and she's gentle and she's all these different things. And he's dreaming of what the future is going to look like. When all of a sudden, God throws a major wrench into his plans. I don't know if you've ever been there where you could see the future unfolding and you had your dreams and you had your anticipations and you're moving forward and you're excited. This is going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. And suddenly things change. Ever been there? I don't know if you've ever been in that place where a circumstance was like a punch in the gut, where it swept you off your feet. You didn't expect it. You didn't foresee it. You couldn't have known it. And suddenly you're in a place where you're literally wondering and looking to God, and you're questioning, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me? God, where are you at in this circumstance? God, what could you possibly be doing in this moment? What I want to remind you of this morning is this. God is always doing more in the moment than you could ever imagine. We all face circumstances, we all face uncertainties, we all face things that we could not have seen coming. But in the midst of it all, I want to remind you that God is omniscient, he knows all things, God is omnipresent, he's in all places at all times, and God is omnipotent, he is all powerful, there's nothing he can't do. And he's always working to accomplish his plan and to fulfill his promises, which leads us to five points in this passage of scripture. Good news about the Savior. I want you to see five things about Jesus this morning. The first is this. I want you to see the claim about Jesus. Verse 18, the Bible says this way. The Bible tells us that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Bible says before they came together, that means literally in that culture, they are betrothed. Legally speaking, to the outside world, they see them and declare them as the fact that they're going to be husband and wife. And suddenly, Mary is found to be with child. And the Bible tells us this interesting claim. She's found to be with child of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The claim about Jesus. The claim about Jesus is that the child that is in Mary's womb is not the child of a man, but is instead the child, the son of God. And the Bible says that this was found. It literally means it was discovered. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Mary was discovered to be with child. And we wonder, well, how in the world could Joseph not have known that? When you put together the other passages of Scripture that tell the full story, we kind of get a picture of what took place. For example, Luke chapter 1, the Bible tells us that Gabriel, that messenger of God, the angel of God, goes to Mary in a city of Nazareth, and the angel declares to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 35 through 37, listen to these words. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. This child is different than all the other children that have come before Mary, and this child will be called the Son of God. Behold, listen to this statement, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's betrothed to Joseph. The angel of God comes to her and says, Mary, you've been chosen by God for a specific plan and purpose. God is going to bring his son, the Savior of the world, through your womb. Mary asked, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. I've never come together with my, my husband. We haven't been united in the context of intimacy. So how can this happen? And the angel says, don't worry, Mary. The shadow of the most high, the, the power of the most high will overshadow you and you will conceive and therefore you're gonna give birth to a child and he'll be known as the son of God. And by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, 
who's old and who is barren. She's never been able to have a child. But now she's not only pregnant, she's six months pregnant. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary hears the message. She surrenders to the, to the word of God. And the Bible says that she said, let it be to me according to your word. And immediately, listen to how she responds. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. So picture the scene. Joseph doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that the angel has spoken to Mary. He doesn't know what God is doing with Elizabeth. Here's what he knows. All of a sudden, Mary's got up and left town. She's fled to go see Elizabeth. She's there with Elizabeth. The Bible says when she gets there, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Mary stays there all the way to cute little baby John is born. Which means Mary was there three to four months. And finally, Mary returns home. Now, we don't know how Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. Maybe Joseph was just a man, and when she returned home at 12 to 16 weeks, by the way, we know today that moms typically began to show by the end of that first trimester. Did he see her belly one day and quickly realize she was pregnant? Was there rumors swirling around town? We don't know. Did Mary pull him aside? We don't know. All we know is this. She's been gone 12 to 16 weeks, and all of a sudden she comes back and she's pregnant, and she claims that it's the Son of God. Now, to be clear, Joseph is a righteous man, but he's a man. In fact, I think in this moment, like, like he's understanding that Mary has claimed that this child is not the child of another man. She's claimed that she's still pure. She's claimed that she's still saving herself for him. She's claimed these things to be true. But Joseph in this moment is listening to the claim and he is thinking, how could this possibly be true? When had God ever acted in such a way before? Why would God even act in this way? How is this even possible? Heaven's claim is that the child was the son of God. Which brings us to a second point about Jesus, and that is this. There's the confusion that we see about Jesus. The confusion about Jesus. What I want us to understand in this moment is that God is bringing us to a place. He's bringing, uh, he's bringing uh, in this process, he's bringing Joseph to a place where there would be no confusion about who Jesus really was and is. I wonder if you've ever been confused about something before. Anybody? I imagine we've all been confused about a thing or two. I was reminded of the illustration about a little girl about six years ago in New York. She was watching a Christmas parade, and of course, the end of the parade was coming near, and she happened to be standing near a, a local reporter, and as the parade was ending, here came at the very end of this Christmas parade, Santa Claus with his sleigh and his elves and, and, and all these, it was great excitement. And, and, and the journalist reached down to the little girl and he said, oh, sweetie, are you ready for Christmas? She said, oh, yes. And so the journalist looked and he pointed over his finger and he asked her over his shoulder, he said, have you, have you told Santa what you want for Christmas? And as he, he's pointing at the guy up on the final float of the Christmas parade and she said, no. And the journalist couldn't believe it. He said, what do you mean? Why haven't you told Santa what you want for Christmas? And she looked at him and she said, because the real Santa's at the mall. The real Santa's at the mall. She, there are a few details she was missing there. She's a little confused. Joseph is confused. This doesn't make sense. Mary is, is humble and she is sweet and she is pure and she honors God and she lives by conviction. She, she went away to, to help Elizabeth. She was gone, and, and now she comes back pregnant? What? This doesn't make any sense at all. This is totally inconsistent with the, with the girl that I chose to marry. This is totally inconsistent with the person that I know. He's totally confused. He's totally confused in this moment of what to do because the bottom line is in this moment, he's facing a circumstance and a situation that he could not foresee. He couldn't make sense of it all. You know, the fact of the matter is this morning is that we all face circumstances in our life that we can't control. But we can't control how we respond to those circumstances. We can't control the things that are unexpected. We can't control the bad news. We can't control the things that rock us to the core. We can't control the punch to the gut. But the fact is, while we can't choose our circumstances, we can choose how we respond, and we can choose to respond in a way to honor God. The Bible tells us, interesting about Joseph, that Joseph was a righteous man. And literally the word here means that he was a man full of truth. There was no hypocrisy with him. 
He wasn't one way in public and another way in private. He wasn't wearing a mask or you know, putting on a front. He, he genuinely was concerned in this moment with one primary thing, and that thing was this. What would God have me to do? What is the right thing to do in this situation? To be clear, in this moment, Joseph is faced with an impossible situation. Because if Joseph takes Mary to be his wife, the entire community will understand that they have physically been together before marriage, and by that culture, they would be rejected and shunned. Not a good place to be. If Joseph rejected her and broke off the betrothal, which literally in that culture would have been to divorce her, then it would be telling everyone that Mary had been unfaithful. And if she was unfaithful outside of the context of her marriage relationship, in that day she would have been stoned to death. Joseph is in a place of absolute uncertainty as he is bearing this heavy decision, what do I do? If I marry her, we're both rejected. If I reject her, she'll be killed. What should I do? And I think in this moment, he's pondering, he's looking to God. God, what is it that you'd have me to do? What is your plan? What is your purpose? It may sound harsh, but the Bible tells us in verse 19 that Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. Now, that might sound harsh to us today, but I think commentator John Phillips summarizes it well. He says, Joseph decided to act as kindly as he could by putting the bill of divorcement in her hand privately instead of exposing her to the shame of a public trial and the danger of an official sentence. He may also have planned to omit any calls in the bill so there would be no public record to convict her. Deuteronomy chapter 24, God had spoken to the Jews and he allowed in that context that there was an uncleanness that was found that a divorcement could be given. But in this context, God is showing us loud and clear, I think in this situation, that Joseph is doing the best he can with a really difficult situation, seeking to honor God. But in that moment, God brings us to a place of confirmation. I want you to see the confirmation of Jesus. When Joseph went to bed that night, I believe he was a discouraged and defeated soul. He knew the actions that he had planned to take, but frankly, they were painful. This is not what he wanted. I think sometimes the most difficult things to admit is to admit a failure, to admit a disappointment, to admit the things didn't turn out the way that we wanted or thought or hoped or even prayed. It's easy in this moment, when Joseph goes to bed, he determines, I've got to divorce her, I can do it privately, that's the best case scenario, and I'll pick up the pieces and go forward from there. And from the outside looking in, we're kind of looking at the story, and we're kind of wondering, like, God, where are you in all of this? I mean, God, this, Joseph is a righteous man, he's seeking to honor you, he's seeking to live for you, and this, this isn't what's supposed to happen. This this isn't how the story goes. The story goes that you love God, you honor God, you experience all the blessings, you experience all the joys, and life is smooth sailing from there. That's how it's supposed to go. God, where are you in all this? But little did Joseph know, God was right there in the middle of it all, working to fulfill his promises and to accomplish his plans. I want to remind you that the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God's saying, I have things that I'm working and doing that you could not even fathom, but I'm working them all together to accomplish my purposes. Don't don't you imagine that Mary, when she heard the message from the angel, you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a child. It's going to be the child of God, the son of God. And the angel declared, Mary, nothing will be impossible. Don't you know that Mary probably had some questions? But what about Joseph? Will he love me? Will will he leave me? But but, but what about the the culture? What are they going to think of me? What are they going to experience? And the angel just speaks, Nothing will be impossible with God. Some of us this morning need to hear that in the context of our life, in the context of the brokenness of our life, in the context of the brokenness of relationships, the brokenness of homes. We need to be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. In this moment, Joseph goes to sleep. 
I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God shows up on time. It may seem like the midnight hour. It may seem at the last possible moment. But God has a way of working and moving in ways that we cannot fully fathom. The Bible says that Joseph goes to bed. He knows the decision has been made. He determines the steps to take. And it's then after he's wrestled with God in this decision that God shows up and works and moves. I want to remind us this morning that it is often not until we too have wrestled over a matter that we're finally ready to hear from God on the matter. I anticipate that while Joseph was comfortable planning his future and thinking through all the thoughts about what the future was going to look like, he's in a pretty comfortable place. But now that he's in a place of discouragement, now that he's in a place of difficulty, he's seeking God. He wants to hear from God. Now that he's really ready to hear, God speaks. The Bible tells us, when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now stop for just a moment. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, first off, don't be afraid. Joseph, I know you got a lot of fears about the future. I know you got a lot of questions about what's really going on. I know you don't understand the claim that came from heaven, the claim that even Mary is professing. I know there's a lot of confusion, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you this morning that God is always faithful to fulfill his promises and accomplish his plan. Numbers 23 verse 19 says it this way, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son spoken, and will he not make it good? If God said it, you can take it to the bank every single time. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12 says it this way, God literally says, I am watching over my word to perform it. Everything God says he will do, he will do. The question is not a matter of God's faithfulness. The question is a matter of our faith. Do we truly believe and do we trust? Now, I think in this moment when the angel addresses Joseph, there's a, a, a little statement here that would have reminded Joseph about the power of God. And that is that the Bible tells us that the angel approached Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. How many of you were here last week, you, you, you remember when we took that 10-minute history lesson to learn about the son of David and how Jesus was the son of David, the long-awaited Messiah. Why in the world did the angel approach Joseph as the son of David? Joseph's daddy was named Jacob. Why did he call Joseph the son of David? Well, this all goes back to the fact that God's plan for salvation had existed from before, before the world began. In fact, a thousand years earlier, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Bible tells us that there was a king by the name of David. You know about David, the man after God's own heart? And God gave a covenant to David, the Davidic covenant. And he said, David, out of your lineage, there's going to come one who's going to be a ruler. There's going to come one who's going to be the Savior. David, out of your lineage, I'm going to bring the Savior of all the world. He's going to be the king who rules in your lineage. Joseph is now generation and generations removed. In fact, when you go back and read Matthew chapter 1, you get the impression that Joseph is about 14 generations removed from David. Almost a 1,000 years removed from David. Jo Joseph is not growing up as a king. Joseph is living a common, ordinary, carpenter's, hardworking life. He's not lifestyles of the rich and famous, okay? But when the angel comes and speaks, he says, Joseph, son of David... I want to remind you of something. That statement, son of David, would have reminded Joseph of his lineage. It would have reminded Joseph of his heritage. And it would have reminded Joseph of the fact that, yes, the Messiah, the Savior, is to come through the line of David. Matthew, the writer, then interjects something in verse 22 and 23. All of this took place to fulfill the word of the prophet that the virgin would conceive and they would name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah that was given almost 700 years before the birth of Jesus. In other words, Joseph, 
Remember, you're from the lineage of David. Joseph, don't forget the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years ago that a virgin will conceive and the child will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. In other words, Joseph, heaven's claim is true. Mary's claim is true. This child in her is not the child of man. It is the child of God. But then he tells us something interesting. And that is this. I want you to see the calling of Jesus. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I'm calling this the calling of Jesus because it is pointing us to Jesus' mission and purpose. Jesus coming into the world was not an afterthought. It was God's express plan and purpose to bring about salvation for all the world. We see that first in the meaning. You shall call his name Jesus. You know what the name Jesus means? It literally means God our Savior. God our Savior. It's not God a Savior. One of many. He's the only Savior. Jesus said it this way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. The Bible says that Jesus is God our Savior. There is significance in the meaning of that name. In our day today, we often name a child based upon something that's cute or something that's popular, something that reminds us maybe of that season and era. Sometimes we name them based upon a family name. But in biblical times, on many occasions, God gave an express purpose, name this child this, because in doing so, he's declaring a message for everyone who would hear. By calling this child Jesus, he was saying, this is the key, this is the child, this is the one who will bring about salvation. Well, what is salvation? He will save, the Bible says, his people from their sins. The word save literally means to rescue. It means to deliver. To be perfectly honest, the Lord in my life gave me a very visual understanding of that. How many of you know that children are are sweet and cute and wonderful? Would you you agree with that? How many also know that children can be very uh, strong-willed and independent and do their own thing? Anybody know that as well? When I was a kid, I remember years ago, my parents were... I'm not sure, I don't remember what all they were doing, but I remember them taking me to a family's house in our church, Charlie and Pam Lockman. They lived in the Pike Road area of Alabama, just outside of Montgomery where I grew up. And, and Charlie, I believe, was a deacon in the church at that time. And they would often watch my, my siblings and I so that we could, that my parents could go do ministry or whatever else. But the bottom line is they took us to Charlie and Pam Lockman's house. And, and I remember my mom giving me one rule. I mean, it's just one rule, one thing to do, but that was this. She said, Matthew, whatever happens, Don't go in their backyard by yourself. Don't go in their backyard by yourself. And the reason she said that is because they had a nice swimming pool and I had no idea how to swim. And so I was like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I'll obey, I'll obey, I'll obey, I'll obey, I'll obey, okay, I will obey, I'll do it. Fact is, I was a kid. I was outside, I I don't remember all the details, I was in the front yard and, and I remember as a kid getting distracted. In fact, I got distracted by, of all things, a butterfly. <laughs> and I remember as a kid, like, chasing this butterfly. I have no idea why I was doing this, but something about the boy, I just wanted to trap it, you know? Like, I wanted to hold this thing. And so I'm chasing this butterfly. The next thing I know, I'm moving past the fence. I'm chasing this butterfly. And before I knew what was going on, guess where I'm at? I fall right into the deep end of this pool. I, I don't know if, if you can swim or if you can't, um, but, but it's a pretty scary deal. If you have asthma, it's especially a scary deal. And I remember as a kid being in that pool, and what I remember is chasing this thing, and suddenly I was in water, and the water was cold, and I began to panic, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of batting my hands, trying, trying to do anything that I can do. And I'm just telling you, I was in a place of complete hopelessness. There is nothing I could do to get myself out of that situation. There's nothing I could do to get myself above water. In fact, I remember in that process, I don't know exactly what was happening. I just remember swallowing water and just, just trying to stay above, and it was, nothing was working. By God's grace, at the same time that happened, Charlie and Pam Lockman's teenage son, Sean, happened to be mowing the yard and came around to that side of the house. And when he did, he saw what was happening, and Sean jumped into the pool, and as God is my witness, he rescued me that day. 
He pulled my, my little body flailing in the water, taking it. He pulled me out and onto the sidewalk, and, and I've lived. He literally saved me that day. Well, who needs to be saved spiritually? The Bible says of Jesus, many people were distracted because they were wanting a king to come with, with a great crown and a great robe to be a military leader, to rule and reign with power. But Jesus came not to save us from the political structures of the world. He came to save us spiritually. In fact, the angel says he'll save his people from their sins. Well, let's park there for a minute. Who needs salvation? All who have sinned. All who have sinned. Jew or Gentile, white or black, old or young, all who have sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is every single one of us. There will never be a single person that you will ever meet who has not sinned. All of us have sinned. In fact, the Bible says that word sin means to miss the mark. It means that God is perfect, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's true. And every single one of us, we fall short of that. Even if you've only committed one sin in your life, it means that we fall short. We are imperfect. We are unholy. We miss the mark. And it doesn't matter. No matter how hard we work, no matter how many times we go to church, no matter if our granddaddy was a preacher, no matter how much we give, no matter how much we amen, no matter how much we look Christian, apart from Christ, it's like we're in the deep end and we're flailing and we're doing all these things, trying to get above water, trying to save ourselves, but there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The consequence, the condemnation, the judgment of our sin means that we are deserving not only a physical death, but of a second death where we are separated from God for all eternity. Many times we try to live our life looking Christian, looking good on the outside, going to church, saying a few prayers, acting like we're moral, acting like we're a good old boy. We do a lot of good things for people. But I'm telling you, when we sin against God, we stand before God guilty. We stand before God condemned. We stand before God, frankly, destined for an eternity separated from him. But God in his grace and mercy knew that there was a way, only one way, that we in our hopeless state could be rescued. Just, just, just like Sean Lockman didn't have to, but he willingly dove into that pool to pull me out, Jesus willingly left the throne of heaven came to this world, lived a sinless life, and knowing that the wages of sin is death, and the only way your sins and my sins could be atoned for and could be forgiven and could be canceled, the Bible says he willingly went to the cross. He stretched out his arms. He bore your sin and mine, every one of them, he bore the wrath of God against your sins and against mine. And he willingly gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. The angel looks at Joseph. You'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, the mystery of all mysteries is that when Jesus knew what he was going to face, even when Jesus knew that him coming to this fallen world, the king, of all, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords would leave the throne of heaven to come and live in this broken, messed up world and bear our sin and die on a cross. And yet he would simply say it loud and clear. Mark 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He knew what he was doing. He died, and the Bible says he was put into a tomb. Three days later, he rose again, and that's why today all who believe in him don't experience just the first part of Romans 6, 23, but they experience the second part. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Or as John 3, 16 says it best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Man, I think in this moment, Joseph, <laughs> I know he's asleep. I know God's speaking in a dream. <laughs> I think Joseph is about to shout off of his bed, okay? He's putting it together. I'm from the lineage of David. God's promised a Savior through the lineage of David. God promised that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a child. He'd be Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know how this works out, but God promised through the prophet Micah 600 years ago that the Savior would come through the city of Bethlehem. Wait a second. I, I'm from the, my family's from the city of Bethlehem. I, I, this, this child's going to come to rescue and save the people. This is the Savior. I think Joseph, he's putting it all together. God's confirming the plan. There is a Savior. There's hope. There's life. There's joy. There's peace. It's coming through Jesus. Bring me to the final point. I want you to see this. I want you to see the choice about Jesus. Joseph wakes up from his sleep. And man, he's now got a choice, doesn't he? You can't have this moment with God and not do something. I mean, God can't speak to your heart and life in such a clear way and you not do anything. Sometimes we, we think we come into a church building, we hear a message, we leave, oh, that was nice. But whether you realize it or not, you just made a decision with what you're going to do. Because anytime God gives us his word, he's not giving us his word for information. And I, I like that a lot of people take sermon notes and go back and study it. But God's not giving you his word so that you go, oh, that's a cool point. Never thought about that before. I hope you have some of those moments. But that's not the reason why. God always gives us his word so that we will believe it and that we will act upon it. God is not just in the information business. He's in the transformation business. He wants to completely transform your life. And he does as we believe him and obey him. Joseph is in a moment where God has spoken. Joseph, I know this isn't what you planned. You know, I, I know Joseph is probably not even what you think you wanted. But Joseph, it is what you need. And it's not just what you need. It's the greatest need of all the world. They need a Savior. And I'm bringing a Savior. His name is Jesus. Joseph could have complained. He could have rejected God's plan as if God was interrupting him. Or he could receive it as if it was God's invitation to join him. Joseph could have walked forward in fear or frustration, or he could walk forward in faith. Joseph could walk forward being obstinate and dismiss it, or he could walk forward obedient. Notice what the Bible says. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. He believed the message that this child was indeed the Savior of the world. And he responded in obedience. I love this next statement. Listen to Joseph's commitment because it shows us that his, he was so surrendered to God that he was willing to put aside his rights for the will of God. Listen to this. And even though he took Mary as his wife, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And guess what he did? He called his name Jesus. Yes, this child is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me ask you a question this morning in closing. Simple statement. Jesus is the only Savior for all the world. Here's the question, and it's simple. Is he yours? Have you personally believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Can I say to you that, I'm just, just being blunt here, just, I hope you're okay with me just being blunt, but here's the bottom line. The longer I pastor and serve the Lord, the more I am amazed the number of people who go to church, sing the songs, 
and even do good things and yet have never personally accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Many of us can easily become like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who went to the temple, who prayed, who fasted, and who tithed, but did not have a relationship with God. So my question is not trivial. I mean it seriously. Have you personally received Jesus Christ and believed in him to be your Lord and Savior? And can I just say one more thing while I'm being honest with you? Hopefully all the message is honest with you, but while I'm just shooting straight with you. If there was ever a time in this world and in our lives where we need to make sure that is settled, it is today. I've been reminded over the past month or so, as now on a handful of occasions, someone from the community has reached out to me to say, will you talk to this individual, this family? Sure, why? Well, their nephew just died in a car accident last night. Their father just died of a stroke last night. This guy was recovering from COVID, went home, and he died suddenly. Last night, God is my witness, last night I'm at home getting ready to watch a little football game. I get a message from a dear friend. Hey, Matt, just making you aware, confidential, they're still notifying family, but you need to pray for this specific family. One of our leaders here in the state of Virginia, faithful man, loved God, just become a pastor again back right before COVID hit in January. He was having some Christmas celebrations with his youngest son yesterday and suddenly dropped dead of a heart attack. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm, I do want to ask you very directly. If today is the last day you're stepping foot into a worship center, and this is the very last message you'll ever hear, if you were to stand before God before Christmas Day, my question is this. Would you hear, welcome my child, or would you be rejected? The answer to that is dependent upon what you do with Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12, God looks at a dark world and he says, guess what? I'm sending my son Jesus into this dark world. And here's what he said in John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as receive him, Jesus, the gift, the gift of salvation, to as many as receive him, to them the Father gave the right to become his children, even to those who believe in his name. Nobody can do that for you. You can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't control what's going to happen with the pandemic. You can't control with the circumstances you're going to face. But you can today choose to say yes to Jesus. And I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the way that you speak to our heart and life. I pray right now that we'd be serious about doing business with you, that we would be serious about making sure that we have accepted you, Jesus, as our Savior. I pray right now. Would you work in our lives? God, I pray if there's anyone that's going through the motions, anyone that's been kind of looking the part of being a Christian but not sure if they've accepted that gift of salvation, God, I pray today that would be forever settled. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed right where you're sitting today. Here in the worship center, in the CLC across the way, maybe you're at home right now and encourage you to tune out the distractions if you can. Here's the question. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, to be saved, we must believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. So this morning, if that's you and you're not certain of that and you've got doubts about that and maybe you've, you, know, you, you try to live a good life but, but you're not certain of your salvation, the only way to heaven is through faith in Christ and we confess that very simply this morning, if you are ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you right where you're sitting right now, would you pray and talk to God and say something like this? Would you say, God, I know that I am a sinner. I've done things in my life that I know have not pleased you and that I'm not proud of. But God, I do believe that you love me. 
And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and that he rose again from the grave and that he is Lord over all. Because Jesus is Lord, God, I ask you today to save my soul and cleanse me from all my sin. And God, from this day forward, I want to live my life for you. So would you come into my life today to change me make me a brand new person. I pray in Jesus' name. Today, if you prayed that prayer with us, I want to celebrate with you, and I want to ask you today, if you're watching at home, or you're in the CLC, or even here in the worship center, we're going to keep a number up on the screen for a while. I want to encourage you to call us or text us. We'd love to pray with you and serve you and minister to you in any way that we can. There's a good group of people as well today who are here who, who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know, in some ways, you can really identify with Joseph because Joseph faced a very unexpected circumstance. But in that circumstance, he was learning things about God that he would have never known. And God was calling him to trust him. You may be here this morning as a believer, and God may be doing some things in your life that you didn't foresee, you didn't expect. And God is calling you today simply to trust him. And if that's you today, I want to ask you right now, in your seat, right where you're at, would you just pray? And say, God, would you lead me and guide me? Help me to trust you. Even as you pray, would you commit to God that you're going to be faithful in his word so that through his word he can speak to you to lead you and guide you as to your next steps? Right now, would you pray that? God, I do thank you for the ways that you're working and moving in our life. Thank you for what you did in bringing your son into the world to be our savior. It was the most uncommon and unusual way and certainly was not in any way what Joseph was expecting, but you were working through it to accomplish your plan and fulfill your promises, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for the way that you do the same in our life. I pray that you continue to do that today as we surrender our will to you. Have your way, I pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.